All right, we're going to go to Luke 14 today and continue talking about the words of Jesus. And so as you go to uh, Luke 14, um, I think that this topic we're going to talk about today is very, very applicable and very appropriate coming off of Easter week and uh, all that we celebrated in, in the past weekend. Um, but we had kind of a, I, I made a mental note this week uh, of a little celebration uh, for Dana and I, because Friday, this past Friday, was 27 years and one month exactly since we became a couple. 27 years and one month exactly. It was March 21st, 1990. That's kind of cool, right? And actually, I would tell you that, you know, one of the best days of my life, uh, I was probably, I was excited because we were going to get, you know, I was going to get to be uh, with her, but I was probably a little more surprised because two days earlier she told me she didn't want to date me, so it was a little confusing in that day. But here's the reason I tell you that, and, and it, it leads me to what we're going to talk about today. I tell you that because when I say that it's 27 years ago and one month since we became a couple, you know already what I mean by that. You inherently understand what we agreed to that day. I did not say to Dana, and you would smack me if I did, I did not say to Dana, I want you to be one of my girls. Right? You know that. I said, I want you to be my one and only girl. I want to be yours. I want you to be mine. I want this to be just you and me. At that moment, it has always been understood since then, and it was understood right then, that my commitment in that agreement was I was not going to entertain, pursue, or give my attention to another girl. Does that make sense to you? Is anybody stunned by that? What? What is this exclusive stuff you're talking about, Mark? We get that. Now, I know today in in real-life dating world, it seems less and less obvious that that fundamental fact is the truth. I, I understand that. But we still know inside of us, and I believe it's because of how God made us, that exclusive is necessary for romance. We rationalize, you know, what's the harm in talking to someone else? What's the harm in flirting? What's the harm of having a special place in my heart for somebody else? But listen, romance and marriage only work on the principle of exclusivity. I understand as someone uh, makes the transition from, you know, just being a single person and looking at everybody as an option, you know, the struggle to get to like exclusivity, I, I get that. But here's the reality. It's hardwired into us as human beings to know that when I say I'm yours, I'm forfeiting any right to be with or interact with someone else in any intimate or romantic way. That's the truth, and you know it, and I know it. And anybody who fights against that is trying to rationalize in their own head. It's just the reality. By the way, if you find yourself with someone who doesn't agree with that, get going quickly, because it's not going to work out. This is the fundamental agreement of relationships, of marriage, of romance. It is the cost, I would say, of romance, the cost of marriage. It's this kind of relationship. It's what separates it from other friendships and other relationships. So what if I don't want to do that? Maybe you're a single adult here and you're, you're like, well, I don't know if I'm ready to say I'm, I'm not interested in anyone else. I'm just interested in you. Then don't start dating anybody. And certainly don't get married. It will be a train wreck. 
And I will probably be a witness to it, and I'm tired of seeing train wrecks. It takes exclusivity. It takes that cost. So count the cost. If it seems to you in any moment like a struggle to let go of other opportunities, then you're not going to make it as a couple. Today we look at the same concept from Jesus about our relationship with him. He tells us to count the cost. Jesus cannot be your leader, cannot be your savior, cannot be your redeemer as one of many. He has to be the only one. So, you want to follow Jesus? Here's what I'm asking you today through the words of Jesus. Are you sure? You want to follow Jesus? Are you sure? Really? Because salvation, without a doubt, is a gift. There's no, what we're going to talk about today is not about measuring up or working your way into being worthy of salvation. In no way, shape, or form are we going to talk about that. However, I will say this. Those who follow Jesus, Jesus says, follow him all the way to the cross. He says, if you want to follow me, come and die with me because that's where I'm going. Isn't it appropriate that the week after Easter, this is where we are? We just remembered his sacrifice and, and his resurrection. And Jesus says to these people, if you want to follow me, you got to follow me all the way. So today, if you're sitting here and you've thought of salvation as some kind of insurance that you have off on a shelf somewhere and you'll cash it in someday when you die, you'll cash in that insurance so you can go to heaven. Jesus disagrees with you. He says, that's not what it means to be my follower. If you decide to follow me, you better start by counting the cost. The other thing I want to say before we read uh, in Luke chapter 14 is this. There's a word that comes up about follower or disciple in this passage. And the word itself means a learner by action, to disciple. It comes from the same word as discipline, which can have a negative connotation. If you're a parent, you have to discipline your children. But it also talks about having personal discipline. If I want to train for like the Olympics, which I'm not, by the way, in case you're wondering, but if I wanted to train for the Olympics, I would need to have discipline on what I eat and, and when I get up and what I do and, and keep going even though it hurts and even though I'm ex- Right? Discipline. So the idea of a disciple comes from that idea. It is a learner by action. And so... Some of the things Jesus says here can can shake you to your core, and they're meant to. That's why Jesus said them. But I want you to understand, he's talking about his disciples, and being a disciple is progressive. You don't get it all at once. It's not a switch that you flip and everything falls into place. You learn more, and you master more, and you practice more as you keep going, and you, you grow, and you get stretched over time. So what he's talking about here is a direction more than an arrival. Okay, So when he says count the cost, he's talking about a willingness for God to do this in you as you follow him over time, not have you already done all this and are you all set and can you say without a doubt that you've got this all in place. There's some talk in Christianity about whether you can actually be a believer unless you are uh, fully, fully creating Christ or or seeing Christ as your Lord, unless you're completely submitted to him. I'm not personally... Uh, equipped to manage and, and decide for you whether or not you're saved. But I can tell you what Jesus says about following him. What he says, and I think in kind of confrontation to us today, 
is this. I didn't call you to be agreeers. Like, yeah, I think that's true. Not what I called you to. I mean, you should agree, but that's not what it means to be a disciple. Yes, I think that's true. It's more than that. He didn't call you to be a spectator. Like, watch what Jesus does. Oh, yeah, it's cool. He did not call you to be a fan. Yay, Jesus. He called you to be a follower, to follow him. Is that what you are? Is that what you're doing? Is that how you are responding to his invitation? A genuine response to Jesus' offer looks like this. And it's from the words of Jesus. So pick it up with me uh, in chapter 14 of, of Luke, verse 25. We'll start with verse 25 to 27. And it says this. Large crowds were, fo- were traveling with Jesus. And turning to them, he said, If anyone comes to me and does not hate father and mother, wife and children, brothers and sisters, yes, even their own life, such a person cannot be my disciple. And whoever does not carry their cross and follow me cannot be my disciple. Wow, those are hard words. Cannot be my disciple. Cannot. It's impossible unless you have this. So let's pick up the scene here. We've got Jesus on the road, and we, as he's walking down the road, the Bible tells us there are large crowds following him. Hundreds, probably, of people walking on the road as Jesus walks. If you've ever seen Forrest Gump and you've seen you know, everybody running behind him, it's kind of that feel without, you know, without the running and without the Arizona. It's kind of like that kind of a feel. Jesus is walking down the road, and everybody's like, I wonder what he's going to do next. I wonder what miracle he's going to do. This is going to be so cool. I've got to hear what he says. And so as he's walking along the road, everything that would, if you were standing there watching him go by, everything that you would see would say success. Today, in, in, in America, in churches, we would say those kind of crowds would mean success. Any organization that has that kind of following and that kind of interest and that amount of people, wow, those, that's, a, that's a very, very good indication that you are successful. You've made it. You've reached it. And so it's interesting that in that, Jesus turns to them and says, I want to tell you something about following me. I want to talk to you about following me. Well, what are they doing right now? Physically, they are following him. And he says, okay, you think you're following me? Let me tell you what it takes to Follow me. Jesus is not that interested in the crowds. He's not that interested in the casual follower. He's not that interested in people who just want to hear what he has to say and see what he wants to do. He wants to know if you're willing to follow him the way that he talks about being his disciple. And so he says, if anyone comes to me and wants to be my disciple, essentially, this is what it takes. So he starts by saying, you have to hate father and mother, wife and children, brothers and sisters, even your own life. Maybe you're sitting there right now and go, well, I can check off a few of those right now. Obviously, in the word of God, husbands love your wives. Parents take care of, I mean, there's, he's not talking about, I despise these people. I should treat them poorly. I should reject them. That's not what he's talking about. But what is he saying? He's using a word, hate. For a comparative force. And what he's saying is, would you be willing to lose these things for me? Would you be willing to lose your family? Would you even be willing to lose your life for me? 
We, we get the, the, the use of the word hate outside of the context of actually despising someone. When somebody is teasing you, you might say, man, I hate you. You don't really mean I hate you. You're expressing something different in using that word. Um, sometimes people say, you know, I hate my life. They don't actually hate their life. I mean, they kind of, right now, they're kind of frustrated with it, but they're not like, oh, I, I want to get rid of my life. They're, they just are like, ah, trying to express something, right? And so as Jesus does this, I don't think we're twisting the scriptures at all to say that Jesus is using this to say something shocking to get their attention, but to use it in a comparative sense. And what he says to them is this. If you want to follow me, you have got to choose that I am your clear and unchallenged priority. You have got to decide that you are willing to let go of everything and anything else. Even things that would naturally be close to you, that would naturally be your primary allegiance. Jesus says, will those things hold you back from really following me, or will you let go of everything? And so that's what Jesus is saying to you today. What is it that you would refuse to let go of? No matter how God-given, no matter how good, what is it that you would be unwilling to let go of to follow Jesus? Many of the people that are listening to Jesus who have to decide whether to be his disciples or not, in a few months would be cast aside by family, even by spouse, and would even lose their lives for Jesus. And he says to them ahead of time, would you be okay with that? I find it interesting how often what we wind up with in church and and Christianity and inspirational quotes and social media and little snippets of whatever is about how Jesus is going to make your life pleasant and wonderful, and you're going to have lots of money, and you're going to be healthy because Jesus has all kinds of power, and he's going to do all these wonderful things for you. But then you open up the Bible, and you read the words of Jesus, and he says, buckle up if you're going to follow me, because it's going to be a bumpy ride. It's going to be hard. It's going to be catastrophic even. He makes it clear that truly following him is all in holding nothing back. And so today, what I'm asking you through the words of Jesus is this. Where are you on this? What might following Jesus cost you that would cause you to turn back? Maybe today you're sitting there and you're like, well, that would be, I I get that and that makes sense, but man, my life is just so full. I've got so much going on. I wish I could be that simple where it was just Jesus and then everything else was like way over there. I wish it could be that simple. Well, what if it is? What if the enemy's tactic for you is to keep you juggling all of these priorities when you really only have one? What if we manufacture the chaos of our lives by having competing priorities instead of just following Him? Could it be that simple? Wouldn't that be transformational? Doesn't that sound like Jesus? Jesus says, if you won't hate father and mother, wife, children, brother and sister, even your own life, you cannot be my disciple. What is it that is competing with Jesus for your loyalty for your attention. And then he summarizes it by saying this, 
Whoever does not carry their cross and follow me cannot be my disciple. So here's the summary. Carry your cross. Are you willing to suffer the loss of anything and everything? By the way, this is before his crucifixion. So this is, you carry the cross. We're like, oh yeah, Jesus died on the cross. They didn't know that. They're like, carry the what? You know, maybe you have a cross around your neck or something. They didn't, crosses were nothing but horrible. Crosses were symbols of people who rose up against those in power and lost. And they would literally, they would crucify hundreds of them on the hill outside town so that every time you went in and out of the town, you could look at all of these dead bodies hanging on crosses and be warned not to do what they did. That's a cross. Cross is not, you know, we're all like, oh, the cross, the wonderful cross. They weren't anything about the wonderful cross. So when Jesus says to them, if anyone wants to follow me, carry their cross, pick up their cross. It was a stunning statement to them. Will you sacrifice your life? And folks, make no mistake about it. To follow Jesus is to come and die. It is to die to yourself. To be willing to let go of your plans, your ideas, your desire, your comfortable life. How life should go. Isn't that somewhere our struggle is? Like when you go to complain to God, isn't it because you thought life should go this way and life turned out to go this way? And you're like, God, what's up with that? Maybe it's because we didn't carry our cross. We didn't pick up our cross because he said it means the sacrifice of your life. Being a Christian is not a call to a self-centered life. It's not a call to pleasure. It's not a call to fun. It's not a call of good times. Yay, everything's going to be great because you're with Jesus. Not at all. The cost of following Jesus is everything. But here's the deal. The everything you give up is pennies compared to the riches you receive. And so by faith, the cost is worth it. But the cost can feel catastrophic. It can feel overwhelming. We struggle to feel that we can go all in with the Lord because that means He has all of my tomorrows. That means He can do anything to my life. He can turn my life any which way. He can take people away from me. He can take my own life away from me. Am I all right with that? Jesus says, take up your cross. By the way, in this passage, take up your cross speaks about a voluntary choice, which no one would have made. (laughs) No sane person would say, ooh, I'm going to go out today cross shopping to see if I could go die something. Like, nobody did that. This was not desirable. This was not appealing. This was horrible, horrible, horrifying to them. To take up your cross? What do you t- he says, volunteer for it. And carry your cross. Not about the moment of death, but about the walk towards your death. Carrying your cross. Embracing the loss that's coming, that seems like it's right ahead, and moving towards it, just like our Lord did, right? Humble followers who live for values beyond this life, beyond this world, ready and willing to lay down anything and everything so that we can follow Jesus. Now, there have been millions and billions of your brothers and sisters who have trusted Jesus Christ over the centuries, who have laid it all down. 
And the enemy's new trick is to make us satisfied in this life, to give us prosperity and wealth and long lives and lots to hold on to. If you're poor and your lifespan is 25 years and he comes and says, lay down your life, you're like, this is a miserable life, no problem. But if everything's good, now I got to let go of all that stuff. Maybe today, the God's blessings on your life are the reason it's a challenge for you to take up your cross. But he's the one who gave them to you in the first place. Do you trust him? Will you follow him? Today, I'm asking you basically this. What is your cross? What is your cross that Jesus says, will you take it up willingly? Maybe it is some burden. Maybe it's some brokenness. Maybe it's some pain. Maybe I don't know what hardship there is, but Jesus says, will you volunteer for it? Something that the cross represents for you in sacrifice, even to the point of laying down your life. If anyone comes to me and does not carry their cross, they cannot be my disciple. Jesus goes on and tells two stories here. So pick up with me at verse 28 down to verse 30. Here's what he says. Suppose one of you wants to build a tower. Won't you first sit down and estimate the cost to see if you have enough money to complete it? For if you lay the foundation and are not able to finish it, everyone who sees it will ridicule you, saying, this person began to build and wasn't able to finish. All right, Jesus gives this real-life example here about what he's trying to challenge them to. Just kind of like that idea of the be-my-girl conversation. Like, real-life example. Now, you all get this. You all know this. You know, all understand this. He talks about a man who is undertaking a building project. But he doesn't finish the project. And the reason that he doesn't finish it, Jesus says, is because he didn't stop to think if he would pay the price. Maybe he wasn't able to pay it. Maybe he wasn't willing to pay it. But one way or the other, he never said, am I going to go all the way with this? And so because of that, he's unable to finish the tower. And so Jesus says, everybody who walks by sees this project that never gets done. And they ridicule. What a fool. Because all that has gotten done signifies a waste. Because it's not completed, it serves no purpose, it's not done. So you wasted money and because you weren't wise enough to count the cost before you started and decide if you were going to go all the way or not. So it just sits there, half done. It's a very negative example. And it puts the, the builder of this tower up to ridicule. Jesus says, don't make the mistake of saying you'll follow me. Even walking down a road following me, like all these people, if you're not willing to pay the price. What does it cost you to follow Jesus? Maybe the reason being a Christian hasn't worked out so well for you is because you've held back on paying the price. If right now, in this very moment, you were to count the cost, Jesus invites you to count the cost. What is the cost? What would it take For you to let it all go, to put it all in, to pay whatever it takes. What would it take for you to follow Jesus the way Jesus is talking about here? And all around us every day, and probably if we're honest, in our own lives every day, this plays out. We play church, we put on the Christian label when it suits us and we take it off when it doesn't. 
we decide how far we're willing to go. We don't go to God and say, God, tell me whatever you want me to give. We go, God, this is what I'll give to you. Please be thankful that I'll give this to you. We play it out over and over and over again. And then we go, God, where's the power in my life? Where's the transformation? Where's the hope? Where's the peace? Well, guess what? It's behind all that cost you won't pay. Count the cost. The summary of this concept, Jesus says, is everybody ridicules you because you say one thing and you do another. You say that Jesus is your Savior, He's your God, He's your hope, He's your peace, and you act like life is just one big worry, stress, frustration. He says those who look at you recognize you weren't able to go all the way with it. You weren't willing or you didn't have what it takes to give all that it took. And so what you do is you wind up putting the cause of Christ up for ridicule. You name the name of Christ, I'm a Christian, and people, you see it all around you all the time. You name the name of Christ, and then you act like an idiot. And people say, if that's the cause of Christ, I want no part of it. People who come, uh, I'm a Christian, and I'm going to stand up for what's right. But they stand up in such pride that it's so easy to sniff out that everybody's like, if that's the cause of Christ, I don't want any part of that. How can anybody who's been saved by grace as a lost sinner have pride as the way that they present Christ? How could you? What did you do to earn it exactly? You fell on your knees. You asked for God's mercy. He poured out his grace and you received it. Wow, yay you. Like what? How did we get so proud of ourselves? We're going to shake our fist at all these heathen. Guess what? You would be too except for the grace of God, right? And so we put the cause of Christ up for ridicule. Our testimony becomes a joke, and others take it as a cautionary tale. Oh, don't do that. Don't start building that tower. Don't follow Jesus. The cost is too high. So I'm asking you, by the words of Jesus today, have you counted the cost of following Jesus, and are you willing to pay it? Maybe as I talk right now, there are things that are going on inside your head or inside your soul that you, God keeps bringing you back to. And you keep saying, someday. Or you keep saying, no, not that. Everything else, but not that. And you're kind of wondering why he keeps coming back to that spot. You're like, I've given you so much, God. Why do you need that? Here's why. Because you need to take up your cross. You need to count the cost. If you want to be his disciple, are you going to go all in? Are you going to pay the whole thing? Or are you just going to hold back? Last example, verse 31 to 33 different type of example. Here's what it says. Suppose a king is about to go to war against another king. Won't the first sit down and consider whether he is able with 10,000 men to oppose the one coming against him with 20,000? If he is not able, he will send a delegation while the other is still a long way off and will ask for terms of peace. In the same way, those of you who do not give up everything you have cannot be my disciple. The last example is about a king who's about to be under attack. An army is coming his way. And Jesus says, as this king sits in his castle, in his, in his you know, palace, and thinks about the, the army that's coming his way, Jesus says, just naturally, isn't it natural for him to go, well, I've got this size of army, and I hear they've got that size of army. Am I able to beat them? 
and take into account my fortifications and the, the, the money that I have and the stores of supplies that I have and whatever, and am I able to beat them? I look at the comparative size between the armies and I decide whether I can win or not. And Jesus says, if he decides that he can't win, won't he pursue peace? Won't he give up before the battle even starts because he knows he can't win the fight? This is what we call surrender. Surrender. Kind of a dirty word, surrender. If you're in a fight with somebody and you're like in the heat of the battle, surrender is the last thing you want to do. You want to win. I want my way. I want to be right. I want to have control. I want to have power. Surrender. And in the world that, this, that these folks lived in, if a king sought peace, what it meant is he surrendered to the other king, and now the other king ruled over this kingdom. Surrender. Giving up my control. Please don't miss Jesus' point here. The king didn't want to surrender, but it was his only option because he couldn't fight the battle. He counted the cost before the battle, and he knew he would lose, so he went ahead proactively to surrender. Jesus is saying to the crowd, do you see that surrender is your only option? That your troops and your resources and your army can't win this life. Your money, your personality, your friends, your willpower, all of, anything that you want, anything that you have, do you recognize yet that it won't win the day? That you are already doomed to lose if you keep going in your own plan, in your own strength, in your own wisdom. If you go forward as you, you lose. So your only option is to surrender. Some of us are tearing ourselves into shreds trying to fight the battles of life with our own army. And in the end, we're going to lose anyway. Might as well just fast forward to it. And surrender now. When should we recognize that we need to give up, that we need to give in, that we need to surrender? And Jesus says that surrender is a summary of following him. He says, in the same way, those of you who do not give up everything you have, in the same way as that king who recognized surrender was the wise choice, was the valuable choice, do you recognize that surrender is your only option? That all that you have is not enough. That your juggling act has got to come to an end. That there needs to be one priority in your life and one only. And that is the cause of Christ. That all that you have, all of your skills and all of your abilities are not enough for the day of judgment. There is coming a day when you will stand before your creator. And no matter what you have, it won't be enough. Do you recognize that? And there is a day as we walk through this life when it's supposed to dawn on us that I don't have enough to make this life matter, to make this life work. What seems like control, what seems like power, aren't. they just an army too small, an army doomed to defeat, a cause that is doomed. The only cause you can live for that will actually work is the cause of Christ. The only person that is worth following all in is Jesus Christ. Surrender's your only option. It's not, I'll take Jesus, and I'll take a career, and I'll take a family, and I'll take health, and I'll take money, and I'll just try to keep... It's, I'll take Jesus and whatever he gives me. And I'll let go of anything he tells me to let go of. Because he gave it to me anyway. 
This is not a fun topic, but it's the source of power in your life. Jesus says, if you won't give up everything, you cannot be my disciple. Now, he's not saying to you, go home, put everything on Craigslist, walk around the neighborhood, give your car keys to somebody. He's not saying that. I hope that you know that. But it does mean that everything you have is surrendered to him. And he can do whatever he wants with it. And you don't complain because you trust him, because you've surrendered to him. The king in this story probably is still king. He's probably, his life probably looks like he probably lives in the same palace and all that, but now he's subject to the king. Your life may look exactly the same as following Jesus as not following him as far as what you have and what you do on a daily basis, but everything about your life is different because it's given over to your king because you've surrendered, because you've counted the cost, because you've taken up the cross. And so we're going to close with a song today that invites you to consider giving your life to the cause of Christ. Today, Jesus says to you, and I hope that you grab this, and I hope this rings in your head through this week. As you walk out these doors and as you go to your life and you live Monday and Tuesday, and I hope this rings inside of you. Will you follow Jesus? Will you follow him like he says? And that means, will you give up everything? Will you let go of everything to follow him? For some of you, the what you need to let go of is control. Your complaint with God all the time is that life isn't doing what you think it should and people aren't acting the way that you think they should and if they would only bend to your will, everything would be fine. Surrender control. Maybe it's plans. Maybe it's the right to be right. Maybe it's the timing of things. You're in an in, a in between and you're like, want God to hurry up. Will you follow him? That means will you give up everything? What will it cost you to follow Jesus this week? What will it cost you to follow Jesus this week? Are you willing? Will you pay the price? And what has stood in the way of you abandoning everything to give your life to him? People, we are called to the cause of Christ. Today, count the cost and decide if you're willing to pay it. Decide if you're ready to fight a losing battle with an army too small or whether you're ready to surrender and follow Jesus the way that he calls us to. I pray that we will.